Welcome to the West Side Audio Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. And if you're looking for more ways to connect with West Side Assembly of God, feel free to check us out at www.westsideag.org. You'll find all the information about our service times, upcoming events, and opportunities for you to plug in and get connected with West Side Assembly of God. Additionally, you'll find a complete online archive of all of the previous and current messages absolutely free of charge. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message, and thanks again for downloading the West Side Audio Message Podcast. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, now the Hellenistic means the Greek Jews, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because the Hellenistic Jews, their widows, were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Why? I mean, this was, this was an intentional slight. This just didn't accidentally happen to a specific group of people. And the Hellenistic Jews knew it were being slighted, were being overlooked, and they were not happy. So they went to the pastor and complained, because that's what people do when they're not happy in the church. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God. And now you're seeing a reference to how to prioritize and structure what goes on in the church. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Don't get me wrong. They were not too good to wait on tables. And I'm going to come back to that point before I finish this. Because I want to make sure we understand that. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This, this little passage is so chock full of interesting things. This is not going to be quite the kind of sermon where if we have those who do not know Jesus Christ as a personal Savior, they're going to be smitten with conviction and come running to find Jesus as their Savior. And I, I know that we do need to reach out to the lost, but this is going to be kind of a housekeeping type of sermon as we're looking for what the early church had to face, how they dealt with it, how that applies to us. So within this little passage of Scripture that I read, we already have evidence of division in the church. It wasn't good, but it was true. And it continues to be true in the church today as it has throughout the centuries. And we also have the 12 apostles who decided that they would need to resolve this problem as quickly as possible. And we have the uh, selection of seven men from among you to take care of the distribution of food, which has commonly been referred back to as one of those important passages of scriptures that teaches us the ministry of deacons. Now, we've made that adaptation because Luke doesn't even really use a word here that is translated deacons. So he did not see this necessarily specifically as deacons and deacon ministry. Nevertheless, it fits the form 
of deacon ministry. So, yes, we go back to this, and this is kind of forms one of the scriptural basis for deacon ministry. Now, let me just pause for a minute. In a church, in church government, you will have a ruling body. Typical churches, not every church, but typical churches have some sort of a governing body. Ruling, probably not the best word. Some sort of a, 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 a governing, managing body that, that leads the church in the way, the direction they feel like God would have them to go. Uh, that group can be known as a board. Uh, it can be known as deacons. It can be known as elders. Uh, these are various words that don't mean exactly the same thing and don't have exactly the same function, but they are used, those terms are used loosely. Deacons are workers. Uh, even according to this scripture, they were not the ones who were ministering in the word. They were not doing spiritual ministry. They were doing practical ministry. Uh, elders are overseers. Elders and bishops are very close. Elders were appointed biblically to oversee the church. Uh, and uh, bishops, of course, more along the line of the, the pastor, the minister leader of a congregation. So you have the board members and the deacons and the elders and uh, the, the bishops, the, the pastors, and this is all a part of the structure of leadership in a church. Uh, in our church, we, when I first came, we did have in our constitution and bylaws an allowance for having uh, a deacon board and having an elder board. But uh, I immediately found out that the elder board was not really functioning like a biblical elder board. The, the board that we had was functioning as the elder board, and the board was functioning as the deacon board, so we just kind of consolidated things. And uh, instead of having a separate elder board and uh, a separate deacon board and, and, a, and, a, and a board, we just kind of gave everybody on the board a portfolio. If you're serving on the board, we want you to be involved, physically invested in helping to the, in the operations of this church. It's important for board members to know you're part of rolling up your sleeves. And being board members, we serve as elders because we are expected to bring a spiritual dimension to the boardroom to make decisions based on what we feel God would have us to do. So it's kind of a multi-purpose board that we have. And then you also see in this passage of Scripture that it talks about seek seven men from among you, and we focus on the word men. And we're going to deal with that. So hang with me. Don't get ahead of me, and don't make up your mind what I'm going to say. Listen to me. Listen to what we have to say today, Okay. Now, the first thing I want to talk about is the early church was indeed a multicultural church. Before this church was ever formed, there were Grecian Jews and there were Hebrew Jews. And those two, even though they were cut from the same bolt of cloth, essentially, they didn't necessarily get along that well because they were culturally distinct. So they didn't hate one another like, like the Jews as a whole body despised the Samaritans who were also Jews, but they didn't like them at all. That goes back to the division of the kingdom, uh, the north kingdom from the southern kingdom and, and David taking uh, one of those. And so that, it, it goes way back there. But there was bad blood. 
between the Samaritans and the rest of the Jews. But then you get into the Jews who didn't like the Samaritans, and then they're further divided. And you got Hebrew Jews, and you got Grecian Jews, and they were okay, but they were not fond of each other. They were closer to their own. And lo and, lo and behold, we have the birth of the church where people are getting, in our terminology, they're getting saved. We understand that terminology. They're getting saved. Uh, the Holy Spirit has fallen at Pentecost and the ministry is happening and people are receiving the message of Jesus Christ and they're coming into this Christian community where so many are getting saved that quickly the, the apostles organized this little it was a commune is what it was. They organized this little commune to help take care of these people. And that's where they begin to sell what they had and bring their money and lay it at the apostles' feet. And the proceeds were distributed in such a fashion to purchase what people needed or to give uh, money to those who needed it. So there, there was a balance. There was equality because you had people of uh, worth and, and, and uh, resource that was able to help minister to those who were very poor. And they saw in the early church how very, very important it was to try and close that gap so that those who were blessed could help those who were less blessed. And that kind of formed this commune situation that they had. Within this commune, the Hebrew Jews and the Greek Jews find themselves belonging to this same little organization and they still had this strife, this uneasiness between them. For some reason, whoever was distributing the food decided not to give uh, the food maybe in the same proportions or maybe at all, just conveniently somehow overlooking <clears throat> the Greeks, Grecian, the Hellenistic Jews. And the rest of the Hellenistic Jews took notice of this, and they said, uh-oh, we've got a problem here. Those Hebrew Jews are not taking care of our Grecian widows. And they went and reported as, we are not happy with what's happening here. Now, as a pastor, I almost get knots in my stomach when I come to this point because I've had I don't know how many times in my years of ministry that experience of somebody coming in and their, their feathers are ruffled. Pastor, I am not happy. And you don't know where it's going to go from there. It can go any number of directions. And then you've got to try and figure out what they're not happy about and how to re resolve this. So here it is, clear back in the early church. Pastor, we're not happy. Our widows are being neglected. And the first thing that the apostles did was to make sure the problem was solved before anything else happened. I'll get to that in a minute. So here you've got the Grecian Jews and the Hebraic Jews, and you've got this friction between them. It's showing up by somebody purposely overlooking the other, and that's not the Christian thing to do. That's not the way we're going to operate in the body of Christ. Whoever's doing this, knock it off. We're not going to have any more of this division and schism and strife in the church. But the internal conflict they had was stemming specifically out of the fact that they were a multicultural church. Now, some have suggested that churches should fairly reflect the cultural diversity of their community. That, that would be an ideal. It would be an ideal if whatever our demographics are here in the Quad Cities, that Westside represented that demographics, that would mean, ideally, we're reaching everybody. 
We're crossing cultural boundaries. We're, we're crossing racial lines. We, we are, we're crossing, we're getting, everybody's welcome here. Uh, <clears throat> and the, the fact of the matter is, we will profess ourselves to be a church that welcomes multiculturalism. Uh, but just because we say we do, doesn't mean that the community, by and large, is running down here and joining him, just because, joining us just because we say we would welcome that. Because there are, there are so many moving pieces to this. And I want you to listen very carefully so you don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But it's the willingness of people to get out of their comfort zone to cross over. It's the willingness of churches to open up and be welcoming to everybody. I've been very pleased with the way that our church has opened up and welcomed people from a variety of backgrounds into our church. Uh, we've had some people come into our church that they don't always look like a lot of us look. They don't always dress like maybe the majority of people here dress. Uh, a lot of times they come in and they already have certain things they have done to their body, whether it be piercings, tattoos, whatever, and it's very prominent sometimes. And I've had some of those kind of people come in that have questioned, would I be welcomed here? I said, I I've seen my church. I think you will be very welcome. I've not seen people being judgmental about those who don't look like you think your idea of Christianity ought to be. And I've seen people embrace a wide variety of people from a wide variety of different backgrounds. So, see, I don't think that we have a real problem here in opening up and accepting, but then you've got to have people who are willing to come and be a part of that. Now, for some reason, I don't know why, I have gotten letters from people in prison more than once since I've been the pastor here. More times since I've been the pastor here than any place I've ever lived. And I don't know why that's happening. And, they, and it's, it's been three or four or five times in the past 12 years I've been here, I guess. And the story's always the same. I, I'm in prison. I, I've, I've uh, started a Bible study. I've found the Lord as my Savior. I realize when I get out, I need some support. I need some help. Uh, you know, can, if I... When I get out, can I come to your church? Would I be welcome? It's just kind of almost a generic uh, template letter that I get. And I always write them back. I congratulate them for being serious about getting their life together. I tell them when you come out, you will be welcome. You look me up. I'll meet you at the door that Sunday morning. Don't worry about what people are going to say or what they're going to think. We're not that kind of people. I don't care what you look like. I don't care how you dress. Just come on in. Be a part of us and uh, make, make all the preparations. And they say, well, when we get out, we're coming. They never come. That, that every one of them, when they get out, they fail to appear. So I don't know what's going on with this. But I'm just telling that story to express to you that people are concerned at some point when they walk into a church, are they going to be welcomed? Good for you, Westside. You're doing a good job. I believe you do do a good job of welcoming people. But multiculturalism in the church the early church did not have a variety of local congregations to choose from. If you got saved, that was 
That was the church right there. You didn't go across town and say, I'm going to join myself to that little group. That was the church. If you joined, you came there. So can you see how all these different people from all these different walks ended up in this little commune, and they had to work out how to get together. Now, the difference between that and today is how many churches do we have in the Quad Cities alone? And they all are kind of particularly designed around some specific flavor or trend. It might be the type of songs they sing. It might be the doctrine that they hold. Uh, worship style could be a part of that. Uh, obviously, denominational names automatically separate people. But then within the same denomination, you've got several different churches as well. Uh, as far as Assemblies of God is concerned, we've got three Assemblies of God churches on this side of the river. And uh, they are evidently believing they are serving geographical locations. Except I did a demographic study on West Side years ago when we were thinking about buying Kay's merchandise up there. I just want to know where everybody came from. You would think Southwest Davenport were, were serving the Southwest residents. And we were not. Everybody came from somewhere else down here. And so when we were concerned about what if we move up there? You know, are we going to lose our impact on the... We weren't impacting Southwest Davenport. Most, most everybody was traveling here from somewhere else. So the, where, we, where we existed didn't make any difference. So, you know, we got these uh, different churches, sometimes within the same denominations. And, and then, you know what that leads to? People go church shopping. Can you get your brain around that? Can you see anything in this scripture here that leads you to believe there's anything to this concept about church shopping? And these people got saved that that was it. This is your choice. We don't have any other choice. This is it. You either belong or you don't. And today, when they go church shopping, everybody has a little list of what they're looking for. And, and since I've been here at Pastor in 12 years, I've had I don't know how many people that we have greeted, and one of the first things is we're church shopping. Yeah, they're looking for something. And in my mind, I'm thinking if I could get your list, I could tell you real quick whether it's going to work for you or not. <laughs> now, I'll save you some time. Church shopping. I guess they're, I don't know. They're all looking for something different. You know why? Because we're offering a little bit of everything somewhere here in town. Just keep looking, keep going. You'll eventually find something that kind of gets pretty close to your list. Well, the group that's here found what they were looking for right here. And uh, I can't be all things to all people. I, I just can't. I, it's, it's, it's impractical to try and meet all of their expectations. I, I had one couple come in one Sunday, and, and they seemed to enjoy the church, uh, uh, join in with it. But when church is over, the, the lady, uh, uh, the female member of this couple, came to me, and she quizzed me. You know, how do you handle communion? What's your communion all about? Uh, do you have it every week? Uh, I said, well, I said, we have communion once a month. And she said, Basically, and I, I cannot remember the entire conversation word for word, but let me just kind of summarize it for you. That's not good enough. If you don't have it every week, that's not what we're looking for. You have to have it every week. And uh, I'm sorry, we, 
we don't do that, you know. And, uh, well, they're gone. Either that or I could get together and say, if we're going to keep this couple, we have to change what we're doing here. But it was a little bit legalistic because there's nothing in the Bible that dictates whether you have it every week or every month. Now you got this multiculturalism thing going on. And I have to imagine, how would we succeed if we really tried to be multicultural in the, in the truest sense? When, when I first came here, we had about 250 people. And a number of people went different places. For whatever reason, there was a variety of reasons. Some left because the last pastor left, and I just wasn't the last pastor. Some left when we built these rooms back here because it took up a space where their pew used to be. And when they walked in, the pew was not there, and they left. Took my pew. Some left whenever we had a change up in staff. How dare you change staff? We're gone. Some left whenever we took the hymnals out of the back of the pews, which were tattered and, and threadbare, and some of them were moldy. And we're talking about trying to be a multicultural church. Well, we can't even get along with one another. I mean, we're not talking about crossing cultural boundaries. We're just talking about here we are. We are just, we, we are who we are. And, and I don't like the way you sing, and I don't like the way you worship, and I don't like the, uh, the lights being off whenever you, you worship. I want the lights on. I had one, one uh, pastor uh, a couple years ago. He said, I had a couple from your church showed up in my church. Uh, uh, tell me about them. They're good people. What can I say? Why'd they leave? They left because we started lowering the lights when we worship. He said, that's funny. We've been doing that for five years over here. Now, these are, I'm trying to get you on board with what I deal with as a pastor. What in the world are we doing if we cannot get together and somehow be as one, be united because of all these silly little things that divide us, and if it doesn't meet our criteria, we're out of here. I talked to somebody not long ago, and, and I, I questioned, you know, have we done something? Have I said something? Are you offended? I don't know what has happened to you. And uh, the response was, we're just trying to pray about where God wants us to go. Uh, let me know if, when he tells you. <laughs> well, have I done? No, no, you haven't done anything. Well, there's something wrong with the church. No, there's nothing wrong with the church. Can you explain? Just, we're just, just trying to sort things out right now. We're, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. They didn't have any choice. They didn't come in here and say, I don't like the way you guys do things here. They did not like the way the food is distributed, but they had to figure out how to get through that. If they can do that, can't we figure out how to get through things? And I'm, I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're not the ones that are, that are fussing, but I'm just trying to tell you how the modern ch church is operating compared to how this church operated. You know, there, there are cultural divisions that, that would be difficult for the modern day church to overcome. Uh, cultural backgrounds often do involve a different 
style of worship, a different style of the order of service, a different, and if we were all to come together, every church uh, in the Quad Cities come together today, it would be a mess trying to figure out how to operate that so nobody would complain. But the fact of the matter is, I'm not trying to justify having all these different churches. I'm trying to say we have done this to ourselves. We have allowed ourselves to become so divided over these petty issues that we're content to be worshiping in this many different church buildings all over the Davenport and claiming we're one. We're not one at all. We can't stand each other. And we've done this to ourselves. And that's how far the church has gone and strayed from originally what they had to deal with. I'm going to move quickly to point number two. The, this early church now encounters its first internal conflict, which I have uh, already alluded to with the Grecian widows being overlooked. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, everybody has to understand Satan wants to destroy the church. He has attacked the church from the very beginning. He's attacked it from every angle. He attacks it from the outside, and sometimes he attacks it from the inside. When you're fighting battles from outside and battles from inside, you really got your hands full. Satan, as I've already mentioned in a previous sermon, he used mockery and ridicule to try and discredit the spirit-filled disciples. He tried to, uh, persecution against Peter and John to stop them from ministering. He tried to bring corruption into the church through Ananias and Sapphira, and that didn't work. Now he's trying to sow division in the church. This is all the hand of Satan working against the church. And this internal conflict that if Peter and, and the disciples don't resolve this properly. Their young church is about to split. It's about to split into Grecian Jews and Hebrew Jews, and I don't know what's going to happen to the converted Gentiles. There might be three divisions when this is done. I just don't know what's going to happen. And that's what happens whenever we get thrust into close quarters with each other. I can get along great with my neighbors, but at the end of the day, they go to the house, their house, and, they go, and I go to mine. And if we had to move in together, and they got their way of cooking, and they got their menus that they like, and they got their hours where they like to go to bed or get up, and they've got their yapping dogs. We get along a whole lot better, and we can go our separate ways and just be cordial. And if we kind of have the same problem in the church. We get along just fine as long as we can be cordial. But if, if, we have to, if we have to deal with strife and conflict, we just go start our own church and take a handful of people with us. Then we don't have to worry about that conflict anymore. We'll create our own. But I think multiculturalism presents its own set of potential conflicts and difficulties that I'm not sure that we are ready to deal with, though we should. Though it would be godly for us to do that, I don't know that we, I think we have spoiled ourselves with segregating ourselves. And I th God wants the church to get along, and we haven't done a good job of that. God wants the church to have no division and strife. God doesn't want us to resolve our conflicts by segregating ourselves. He wants us to stay right there and work it out. Now I ask you, 
just as a theoretical question, if we were to blend so many of the churches today together for this service, what kind of worship service would we have for that? And think that everybody would be willing to comply and be happy. I don't know. Don't elect me to be the pastor of that situation. I don't know what I would do with that. Because you've got some churches, I'm not making fun of them. I'm very serious honoring what they like. They like a very quiet service. They like a very structured service. They like some, some hymns from a hymn book. And, and they're very old hymns. And it's, it's a very hymn-oriented structure. And then you've got a church that's more contemporary, such as ours. How in the world do you even have a song service, a worship service? You've got that many people in the same building. And they probably, many of them, stand there waiting and saying, when are they going to sing the songs I like? And if they don't change, I'm going to go back to where I was. It is overwhelming to think how we would pull this off. It's our fault. See, the early church didn't have to deal with song services. They didn't have worship services. They didn't have buildings. They didn't have all of these things that we have created to be a part of the 21st century church. They didn't have any of that. They just, they just were there existing together. The more we developed, the more we became specialized in certain things that would draw a certain type of people that would be like us. And if they weren't like us, they could go somewhere else and be like them. And I don't think God's happy with any of that. And I am at wit's end to even know how to begin to resolve that. I think the only thing we can do, because I don't think we'll ever get all the churches together again, I think what we can do is draw a line in the sand right here in West Side and commit ourselves that we're not going to be petty. We're not going to be divided by silly things. And when people come in, we're going to invite them. Can't we just work together and worship together and not be divided and not be going off and searching for something better that suits me? And you know, it's got to start right here. Right here. We have a responsibility to get along as the people of God. Unity, so important to God. Blending together, many into one. Finding unity in the faith. And if we can't do that, we're failing miserably as a church. I can't reverse 2,000 years of a trend. But we can read the scripture and say, you know what? God doesn't want us to be petty. He wants us to worship together. And I really honestly, I know it's my personal opinion, but I just don't think God wants us to be of the mentality of church shopping. Really, this, is, this, this transcends all of the things that go along with that. Number three, the early church and administration and organization is seen in this passage. Peter decided to solve the problem immediately. What the problem here was a discipleship matter. There's people serving food that need to be corrected. You cannot bring your prejudice, your bias, and your hate into this church. You cannot ignore the Hellenistic widows because they're not from the same strain, of, uh, strain as you are from. Everybody is equal here. And so it was a discipleship matter. But he didn't solve it first by discipleship. The very first thing he did was let's take care of the problem first. So he said here's how we're going to do it. He could have gotten the people who were distributing this and sat down and had a talk with them. But the first thing he did is he wisely put
put it in the hands of the people. Said, you people, go seek out seven people and nominate them that you know are full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. And so he wasn't the one that had to go find them. He said, I want you people to be the search committee. And that way he brought them into the process. This was brilliant on Peter's part. This was getting away from uh, Peter being the dictatorial authority and saying, I will divine an answer from God and I will give you my answer. He's giving them a share of the, of the problem here and saying, you help resolve this. I need your help in this. So he said, you go find them. Well, they went out searching, looking for seven men. They had to meet that criteria. They first moved to solve the problem and make sure the next time that the food is distributed, it is done fairly and evenly. After that, sometime they would get into discipling and teaching the people that's not the way we're going to act here in this church. I might be the way you acted years ago, but now you're here. And God doesn't want that. But, you know, the people that came into this church, they brought a lot of baggage with them. And it was going to take a while to work that out. How, how, I know that you know when people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, they've got a background, don't they? And sometimes they bring baggage with them. And they're not going to be perfect when they first come in. But if we disciple them, we can help get them where God wants them to be. Don't expect young converts to be perfect. Don't expect them to have their mouth to necessarily under control. There might be a few bobbles. And I moved into a church many years ago, had a group of people from the church show up, help move me in. And uh, one young man had a hold of a heavy piece of furniture, and he was backing up and moving in. He stumbled, and he hit the door, and he scarred the furniture, and he let out a nasty... And the associate pastor looked at me. Here's the new pastor. What's he going to do? What's he going to do? I didn't say anything. I didn't hear anything. <laughs> no big deal. And so the associate pastor came up to me. He said, I, I'm really amazed how you handled that. I said, it was not the time. I didn't know the man. I didn't know what his walk was. That might have been your convert last week. Came to help move me in. I don't know. But it wasn't the time to dress him down when he's out there trying to help. I'll get to know him. I'll find out where he is. And we'll work on his rough edges. But that wasn't the time. You know, you just got to be careful. You don't know where people are in their walk. We expect a lot out of people because what? They're there in the name of the church? They're there working for the church? Well, how, how mature are they? Maybe they're, maybe they're very young in their walk. You got to give people some slack to bring them along. So we sand their edges down during discipleship. And that's why Sunday school is important. Sunday school is discipleship. It's getting people to grow in Christ, to change things in their life. Use that time in Sunday school to teach people how we are expected to conduct ourselves as members of the body of Christ. One of the things that this passage tells us is an organized church is a functional church. We see the apostles demonstrated administrative skills, having these others appointed to the task of distributing the food so they, the apostles, could continue to give themselves to prayer in the ministry. I said a while ago they weren't too good to do this, but everybody has a gift. 
Now, <clears throat> if I were to say to you that I'm going to do everything else that needs to be done here at the church, and I won't be have enough energy left to preach on Sunday morning, one of you do it. How many volunteers do I have? Not a lot. So it would be logical for me to say, you know, anybody can do the, this manual labor out here if it's going to take me away from ministering the Word. But not anybody is willing to minister the Word. So that's what the disciples were saying. Not all of you in this group, they were saying, to, are, are gifted to do what we have been trained three years by Jesus Christ to do. So therefore, we need to continue doing this. Were they too good to distribute food? No, they've been taught by Jesus to wash feet if necessary. They weren't too good for this at all. But they were said, let's go with our giftings. Let's go find some people that maybe they can't minister in the Word, but they are full of wisdom and they're full of the Holy Spirit and they have a good reputation. And let's appoint them to do this. And unfortunately, I'm going to be very honest with you. I'm going to let you in on a dirty little secret within the industry. That is, some pastors will point to that, and they will use that as an excuse not to get their hands dirty. No, we're pastors. We have, we have to minister the Word, and we have to pray. We don't do manual labor. Well, they'll have to deal with God about that. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just built in such a fashion, I, I want to get my hands dirty. I want to be a hands-on kind of a pastor. I want to be... The, well, that, that, that's okay. Some other pastors, they, they may not be able to do that, and I understand that. But, you know, we're, none of us pastors need to be too good to do anything that needs to be done. I mean, you, when you accept the call, you've got to be willing to humble yourself and do whatever you have to do. I got a call at the church that uh, the old widow that lived... No, she wasn't a widow. She'd never been married. She lived out in a little tiny camper trailer, just barely eked by. And somebody called and said, her sewer is plugged up. I didn't have anybody I could call. Nobody. I went and got my shovel. I went out there and I started digging where the ground was soft. You know why it was soft? I'm down in there, slop up to my knees and digging in that, trying to get down to where her sewer comes out. I'm going to fix that. Thank you, Lord, for calling me into the ministry. <laughs> you got to do what you got to do sometimes. You just got to do you got to wash feet sometimes. You've got to dig out sewers sometimes. You, you, it's not glamorous. But if you're called of God and you care about people, you do a lot of things that are not glamorous. No pastor should be too good to humble themselves down and do something humbling, sometimes humiliating. That was what Jesus taught his apostles. And then... This, this organization, this bring me, bring me some uh, uh, candidates. 
some nominees. And he said, seek ye out seven men known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. So there's, there's three things there. I don't know if you saw that or not. Known to be is having a reputation. They're known for this. The second thing is full of the Holy Spirit, and the third one is full of wisdom. And I'm, I'm let me just say it because you want to say it. To wait on tables? You need to have a good reputation and be filled with the Holy Spirit to wait on tables? You need to have wisdom to wait on tables? Yes, you do. For them, they did, because he couldn't, Peter couldn't afford to have somebody out there distributing food who was not full of the Holy Spirit, who was, who was some sort of hothead, who about the time somebody complained that he wasn't doing it right, they're going to turn around and try and pick a fight with them. No, we don't need that in the church. We need people who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, self-control, full of wisdom that if a problem comes up, they can resolve it without causing a black eye on the church and make it a fool out of themselves and bring reproach on the ministry. Get some dependable people that can handle a simple task like this without messing it up and causing more division and strife in the church. So with three qualifications, bring me a list of men. <clears throat> I promised you I would get to this point in the sermon. Men. He didn't say women. He said men. But that's only because it was a cultural thing. It's not because women couldn't do that. It's not because they couldn't be full of wisdom or full of the Holy Spirit or have a good reputation. It's just because culturally they were not going to ask women to be in leadership. And the unfortunate part about it is, is people have read this and they have thought that what Peter was saying is forever in the history, in the future of the church, that you should always have men do everything and women just brag on them. And I'm telling you, from the bottom of my heart, that is not what Peter was trying to say. He was trying to say that you need seven reliable people. And in that culture, it was obvious they needed to choose men to do this. But that by no means eliminates women from having a value and a calling on their life and an ability to serve their church and an ability to do a good job of it. So we come again to these two <clears throat> $5 words. And I've mentioned to this, this to you before. And if you weren't here, you'll be introduced to them today and if you were here you'll be reminded because you don't want to forget this these are very hot topics in this day and age complementarianism egalitarianism two words complementarianism basically views this passage of scripture this is just an example complementarianism means that women were created to complement man while he does all the work she's just a helper here's your hammer Here's a shovel. Can I get you some iced tea? Complementarianism. I will help fill in for you. Egalitarianism uh, means equal opportunity. So uh, the, the complementarianism, the extremes of that is very confining to the women. They were meant to be 
seen, not heard. They go to the other scripture in the Bible where it says that women shouldn't keep silent it's in the church. And they take that seriously. Women should not preach. They shouldn't, uh, if you want to teach children Sunday school church, uh, Sunday school, that's okay, but that nobody will ever see you over there. But don't let women on the platform. You know, that's, a com- that's an extreme of complementarianism. Now, the extreme of egalitarianism, when you get too far on that side, that they fail to understand that men and women are different. <clears throat> Biologically, physically, you know, strength-wise, there's a, lot, there's a lot of differences which better suits some men for some jobs than does women and women for some jobs than it does men. There, there is a distinction there. But it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, intelligence-wise, ability-wise, or, or God's ability to call somebody, there's any difference. So there's a middle of road on complementarianism and egalitarianism. And I think it's very, very important to bring that out because when we come across this scripture where somebody's going to take you to the book of Acts and I'm going to show you where God only wants men, you're going to be prepared because your pastor told you. You'll know how to come back to that kind of a mentality. So if you go to Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus, he uses the the male uh, pronoun as well. And he outlines the qualifications for elders and bishops. He uses gender-specific language about he and about men. But once again, it's a cultural thing. So... Be aware they're basically with these two opposing camps, uh, the issue of men and women serving in the church, we have to understand what does God think about this? Egalitarianism, uh, who believe men and women should have equal opportunity. uh, Sometimes, as I said, the extreme of that is they believe that they have equal abilities. And and, And the extreme of that is if they don't have equal abilities, then you need to uh, uh, tilt the playing field in favor of those where they're not equal to make it look equal. And, and what I, let, let me just give an example. The military needs people on special forces teams that can pass the rigors of the physical test, right? You need to be able to carry a backpack uh, loaded down that a lot of men can't do it. Just very few men do it. Most women can't do it. As a matter of fact, just recently, the first woman ever to pass the, uh, the, the uh, Marines readiness test, first woman ever. Out of all the women who've tried, only one ever could. Uh, so there are physical limitations and difference. But whenever you get to the point where uh, just recently in the news that the Marines dropped that obstacle course because women couldn't pass it because they want more women involved and they said we'll no longer make that a requirement because they are lowering the standards to get a man and now you got problems with with not realizing that uh, we're, we're not we want equal opportunity, but we don't have equal abilities all the time. So it goes back to Peter saying let's do what we're best suited to do. And uh, if it's if it's pastoring a church, I, I, I know that there are women who pastor better than I do and have better churches than I do. And uh, they're smarter than I am. Uh, and uh, you can't make this a gender thing that says no woman can do that. Women, not supposed to, women can't do that. They don't have the brain power to do that. It'd be ridiculous to say something like that. So the biggest question now is where do we stand on this issue? God welcomes both men and women to labor in his kingdom at whatever level 
they are gifted. How many of you know uh, Mother Teresa? Left her mark on this world doing a phenomenal work. Living in conditions that few humans on the face of the earth would ever be willing to live in. Yet, it wasn't a man that went out and did the work of Mother Teresa. Uh, she, she showed her calling and devotion to the ministry put a lot of men to shame. So are we, we move into the final thing, the qualification. And I think I've probably covered most of the, the issue of qualification. Uh, this job of distributing food was, was not that hard. But you need reliable people even to do the smallest things. Just not bringing any reproach on the church and being full of the Holy Spirit and being full of wisdom. The church navigated itself through this internal conflict. It could have destroyed them. Less things have destroyed churches today. Churches have been destroyed over the issue of communion. Part of the congregation believed that you had to have the community cup and the big loaf of bread. And then part of the congregation said, let's go with individual cups. and Let's go with little morsels of bread. And the congregation, unable to work out their differences, split off and went to start their own church. And it's just all this stuff that is going on. God help us. God help us. Well, let's all pray that God gets control of our mind and our attitude and our spirit. And there's going to be some things along the line. If you stay in this church long enough, you're probably not going to be happy with because it wasn't your way. But when you go back to the book of Acts where God expected them to work their way through it, to find a way to get along, a little give and a little take, just a little bit. Now, you can't have it all our way. You've got to be a part of the communion because God wants us to be united. Then let's make that our goal in our congregation, our church. Worship team, would you come? Lord, my prayer is taking a cue from the prayer of Jesus when he prayed over his followers and said, Lord, make them one, even as you and I are one. We, don't, we know the enemy works hard to destroy your work and to stop the church. He works through compromise and he works through persecution. And Lord, sadly, he has worked through internal conflict all too often. Protect our congregation from that, God. Strengthen us against every tactic that the enemy uses to try and destroy. Protect us against the discouragement that he brings. Protect us, God, against internal strife and conflict.
Strengthen us, God, should it come a time that there would be persecution. Lord, I pray that we would cherish unity. Where there's difference, where there's conflict, God, that we could work that out. Find a way to still remain a body dedicated to worshiping you and serving you. Lord, I, I pray you would put an end to the flow of people come in looking around and just trying to find a customized church for them. And they would allow the Holy Spirit to customize their life to your church. Their life to your work, God. We'd pull away from the mentality of changing the church and come to the mentality of, Lord, change me. Bring me into the likeness of Jesus. I thank you for the unity that we do sense and we do have in our congregation. But I'm praying, God, you protect that. You preserve that. Don't let the enemy bring in the strife, the distractions. Keep our eyes focused on you, Jesus, so that all other things just don't matter. Let Jesus be the focus and the center of it all. And we worship you. We worship you together this morning. So I walk upon salvation. Your spirit alive in me. My life to declare your promise. So now to stand. So what can I say? What can I do? But offer this heart, oh
dismissed this morning. We'll see you next week. God bless you. Good to see you all.